Matthew chapter 19. I've got a very heartwarming Christmassy sort of sermon tonight, uh, Wednesday night Bible study on divorce, <laughs> remarriage, singleness. Sounds like fun. <laughs> All right. Interesting that Jesus is gonna have to deal with this issue of divorce and remarriage and um, and I like it that one of the things we left off on last week in chapter 18 was this idea of forgiveness, you know, 70 times seven, Jesus telling us to forgive one another. And man, if you're married, one of the things you're gonna learn to be good at, you really need to. If you're gonna have a good marriage, learn to be forgiving. Uh, that's, that's one of the best tips I can give you, uh, you know, as, as far as marriage goes, is to be those who uh, are forgiving and like to forgive and are quick to forgive and not keeping long lists of wrongs and stuff like that that have been done against you. Um, you know, um, making sure forgiveness is part of what you do is, is something the whole Bible really talks about. And, and it's really the way the Lord is for us. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord, his mercies are new every morning. Don't you love that? I think that's why morning time is good. You know, well, I really messed up yesterday. But when you get up in the morning, you can remember this verse. <clears throat> the Lord's mercies, his forgiveness is new every morning and great is his faithfulness in that area of being merciful continually. His mercies endure forever. So uh, we need to really emulate that in our own lives, especially with our spouse, to be forgiving. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I love the newness of being a Christian, the newness of life. Even though we mess up and dirty things and tweak stuff out and make huge mistakes, the Lord is one who says, I forgive and my mercies are new every morning and old things are passed away, all things become new. And this is really uh, one of the great ways to avoid even have to dive into the discussion of Matthew chapter 19. Uh, chapter 19 is really gonna be uh, brought up by these you know, religious leaders, uh, the Pharisees who will come and, and have, uh, you know, try to trick Jesus into saying something wrong. Not a good plan, we'll, we'll talk about that. But let's take a look, it's Matthew chapter 19, uh, verse one. It says, it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And uh, great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. So wherever Jesus is going now, multitudes are following him and, um, and he's healing people continually. But where is this? This is kind of an interesting thing to know um, about this idea of where Jesus goes to the coast. Whenever the language of the Bible says that he came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. Uh, one of the things we get messed up, we're looking for some ocean, big ocean, because it's the coast, like the Oregon coast. Uh, but that's not really the, the idea. It's the, the shoreline of the Jordan River is really the coast that we're talking about there in the original Greek language. This location is actually known for you Bible students. You might want to note this. It's an, an area called Perea in the Bible times. We would call it modern day, uh, much of it, Jordan. Uh, it's where the border you know, line is from Israel to Jordan. We cross this border at Perea, 
Uh, we usually go in at the Allenby Crossing. Um, well, not always at the Allenby, but so we, we cross at different places there for when we take the group in to see Petra and Mount Nebo and parts of Jordan where Bible stuff happened. Um, but Perea is not directly named in the Bible. It's, it's kind of funny because it's always commonly alluded to though through this, this place beyond or across the Jordan River. So keep that in mind. But the reason you might wanna know that is because people define some of Jesus's ministry by where he did the things that he did. And both Jesus and John the Baptist traveled into Perea during the time of their ministries. And um, this, this area of Perea was under the jurisdiction of Herod the Great initially, but eventually became later under the control of Herod Antipas. And if you remember, right, that, that's where John the Baptist was ministering. That's where he was imprisoned and ultimately killed by Herod. But um, in the New Testament, Perea uh, was visited by Jesus a, a lot. And uh, the commentators speak of Jesus's Perean ministry, uh, not to be confused with the Berean ministry. The Bereans, remember, they're the ones who checked the Bible to make sure Paul and everybody and us and me were saying the things we're supposed to say. Uh, but the Perean ministry of Jesus, as opposed to his Judean or Galilee ministries, this is a little different place where he did some ministry. And the normal route uh, you know, to go between Jordan and Judea uh, or Galilee, I should say, the, the, the Sea of Galilee to Judea, uh, would take a Jewish traveler through um, Perea. Now you say, well, Brett, if I looked at a map, you would go, there's a better way to travel from you know, this Northern Galilee region down to Jerusalem. But um, one of the reasons the Jews didn't take that way, does anybody remember why would they not go that way? Anybody wanna guess? Yeah, Samaria. Well, what area? Samaria. Uh, no, Samaria is the name of the place, uh, filled with Samaritans. And the Jews hated the Samaritans, so they would not normally go that way. Jesus, from time to time, would say, we must need go through Samaria, um, because he wanted to deal with and talk to Samaritan people, which was not a Jewish thing to do. But that's a whole other story. But um, the Perean ministry is when he did take that more circuitous route, um, and that's where he is in chapter 19. Just if you like your geography stuff, uh, I kind of like that stuff. Now, we're gonna dive into the topics, um, that marriage, divorce, remarriage, and singleness. Um, uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, it's been said marriage is a three-ring circus. Engagement ring, wedding ring, suffering. <laughs> we're gonna touch on that tonight. Um, <laughs> But marriage, we need to understand, marriage was always meant to be a blessing. Uh, it was meant to be a beautiful picture of the love God has for us, the love that Christ has for his church. And man, we sure have messed it up. In our culture, in our, our world, marriage has become you know, almost like a dirty word in some circles. And uh, it's really something, it's really sad to see what we, humanity, sinful humanity has done to the idea of marriage. But, um, but all that to say, in marriage, uh, we're gonna see kind of this chapter uh, break down into five or six different sections, at least the first part of it for tonight. I don't think we're gonna cover the whole thing tonight. But um, the, first, the first section that we'll call, and if you can jot down notes, maybe it'll help us to kind of discern what we're talking about here, is then the first point we have here is the fault-finding um, uh, Pharisees. Uh, and that's right here in verse three. Let's take a look. It says, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? <laughs> Interesting question. Um, now, here's where the, the Pharisees, once again, are looking for Jesus to make a mistake. Uh, is there much of a career in that, making, finding Jesus making mistakes? 
you know, not much of a career trying to fool God or trick God into saying something he didn't mean to say. It's easy to trick each other. Humanity, we can, we can say stupid stuff. And there's actually um, some interesting tools people use to make people say stupid stuff. One of the things you and I should be aware of, um, you know, is the old trick of the false dilemma. Um, or you might call it the false dichotomy, some people call it. It's, it's a logical fallacy where, um, you know, a situation is presented as being either or. You can either do A or B. Um, but in reality, there's many more options, but you can present it like you have two options and then people are forced into answering it the way they want to trick you into saying something that is, is uh, rejected. And that's really the, what they're gonna try to do here. You see, the idea of, you know, divorce and remarriage, when the Pharisees are trying to tempt him, saying, is it lawful for a man to put away? The idea is, and by the way, the Greek word there, put away, is to divorce. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? (laughs) Now, you and I might say, well, that's ridiculous. Every cause, any cause. But what you have to understand is there were two rabbis that were famous in this time period that had two different sort of positions on marriage and divorce and what have you. And, um, and so they're kind of creating this dilemma between the Hillelites and the Shammaiites. And who are they? Well, Hillel was a rabbi who had kind of the first position on divorce and remarriage. And Shalel was the, or pardon me, Shammai was the second dude who had uh, thoughts on divorce. So what was Hillel's position? Position number one, he thought, you know, for divorce, you can divorce your wife under any circumstance that would cause her to become unclean. That was his argument. You know, using Deuteronomy 24, the Mosaic law, and what it means for a wife to become unclean, he took an extremely liberal view on what the idea of unclean actually meant. So what was Hillel's definition of unclean? Anytime your wife becomes defiled in your, your eyes as the husband, uh, then you can divorce your wife. Uh, if she burns the toast uh, in the morning, you're unclean, honey, sorry. I'm, I'm filing for divorce. Uh, or or th- there's actually stories in, of, of the, you know, the Hillelites who would say if, if a man saw an, another woman that was prettier than his wife, then in his, his eyes, his wife became unclean. And so he could divorce her for that reason. Um, and so there was probably about half the population that hated Hillel. <laughs> and the other half of the population that was like, cool, whatever. Um, and and they, they argued about that. And, and it was really ridiculous, but that's, there were people that were embracing and mostly men were like, yeah, that's a good idea, um, as it turns out. Well, Shammai, uh, you know, the school of thought number two, he said there's almost no reason for divorce. Um, if you are married, you're locked in. And Shammai's definition of unclean, according to you know, Deuteronomy and whatever, is only, the only possible grounds for divorce would be adultery. Um, and, um, and, and the Pharisees, they knew that this was the big argument of the day. Now, the, the, either way, you almost kind of think, well, how are they gonna trick Jesus? If, if Jesus believed the teaching of Shammai, would you be saying, well, do you disagree with Moses? Um, because they would sort of put him in this false dilemma saying you're disagreeing with the law of Moses. If he believed the teaching of Hillel, the other half would be in disagreement. So the, the great division, it was already a big division among the people. And for Jesus to land on one side or the other would sort of cause strife and division. And they thought they could really trap him with this. Um, so either way, it would be a win for the Pharisees. At least that's the way they thought of it. But as it turns out, God is really, really smart. And, um, <laughs> and Jesus is now gonna remind them of something else. Without getting involved 
in the Hillel, Shammai, false dilemma, controversy, Jesus is gonna remind the, the religious leaders there of God's original purpose of establishing the marriage bond. He's gonna go way past, way earlier to what, what was God's intention for marriage. And man, if anybody could do that, Jesus is the one who's gonna do that. So, so we start off the story here with verse three, the fault-finding Pharisees. But then that brings us to the second point. The next one is the meaning behind marriage. And we see that in verses four and five where it says, so Jesus, he answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Hmm, who would have thought? What a shocker. I have to admit, you know, I just have to admit, when I was younger, I'd read this like, duh. Like, I, not being disrespectful of the Bible, but I'm kind of like, man, I wonder why God puts that in the Bible. That's so obvious. Like, when would you ever want to debate that, that God made them male and female? It's like, that's such a ridiculous, why is that even in the Bible? Now I know. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I mean, we're so wacko. I'm not even going to go into that. So ridiculous. So, sorry, um, verse five, and he said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they two, or twain, shall be one flesh. Um, you know, this is a question because he's, he's saying, haven't you read the Bible? You know, the Hebrew scriptures? Have you not read that he made them male and female and, and, and he you know, invented marriage. So the man would leave his father and mother, then the husband and the wife would become one flesh. And that, have you not noticed? That's, that's what the Bible says. So the original intent was very simple, that a husband and a wife, a man and a woman would come together in marriage and be together, the end. One of the things that makes the Bible confusing is sinful humanity. One thing I've found is the Bible's really clear on stuff. And even on this issue of divorce, I'm gonna offend people tonight. I'm not gonna offend people tonight. I think the Bible's gonna offend people tonight, which I want you to recognize the difference. A lot of people will try to superimpose, well, Pastor Brett believes this and that. And I've heard you know, people say that. And, um, and I'm just gonna tell you what, what Jesus is saying here. And you know, we, we can take it or leave it, but I would recommend taking what Jesus says because Jesus is God and he knows everything. So it's important for us just to submit ourselves to the word of God. It becomes confusing when stubborn people wanna do their stubborn, sinful stuff. It becomes unclear when we, we kinda of think, well, there's other circumstances and Jesus wasn't very clear on this. Well, uh, Jesus chose to be as clear as he wanted to be. Do you understand that? Well, Brett, he lived thousands of years ago. What did he know about modern day? To, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. He knows all of our suffering, all of our challenges. There's nothing Jesus doesn't know. And so we have to kind of realize, you know, as we see this, Jesus is gonna tell us the meaning behind marriage. What's it's all about? So instead of Shammai or Hillel, um, what was God's original intention for marriage? And, uh, and, and it's so, you know, even the things that are you know, debated today, well, is a marriage between a, a man and a man? Is it Adam and Steve? No, it's Adam and Eve is the, the, what God put in the word. They're a man and a woman, they too shall become one flesh. Homosexual marriage is not a biblical thing at all. In fact, the Bible teaches that homosexuality is an abomination before the eyes of the Lord. Well, Brett, I don't know if I like that. But you are, you are shaking your puny little fist in the face of God when you say that. Do you understand that? I'm just, just telling you what the Bible says. Well, Brett, what if I don't believe the Bible? Then, then boy, I'd say you need to take another look at the Bible. The Bible is, is an amazing book. It's not just a book of literature. 
It's a book that's been proven over thousands and thousands of years to be miraculous, powerful, life-changing. It's not like any other book or work ever done. And that's why billions and billions of people through the centuries have believed it. So don't just quickly dismiss it because you know more in the past 10 minutes now that we know there's not really a male or female. And now that we know that gay marriage is cool and everybody in our Supreme Court said it, this and that. And, and in the last, it's amazing how in the last few years we've bailed on so many things that we stood on for thousands and thousands of years. I would just challenge us, first of all, not to be so quick to just jump off of the ship of something we believe for a, a long, long time. Well, where did the idea of homosexuality come from? From people that chose to, you know, accept sexual perversion, and then started to try their hardest back 20, 30, 40 years ago to popularize it, to normalize it. And they've bent over backwards trying to popularize and normalize homosexual marriage and gay relations and all that. So the world's accepted it. Now we're, we're at the place where if you agree with the Bible, which we did for thousands and thousands of years, now you're a horrible person bigoted, you know, homophobic, whatever, fill in the, the names they like to call people. But actually, I think I would just challenge you to, to step back from the popular stuff that, that people are doing and what, what they're doing. And, and, and you know what's interesting is I see it as a sort of a big snowball effect. You know, we started in the 80s. I remember it was in the 80s when we really started to accept homosexuality more and more. And in the 90s, it was starting to be bigger and pretty soon the word homophobic came up. And, uh, you know, and it just got bigger and bigger snowballing. Now it's, it's snowballed to what we were predicting it would snowball to, to pedophilia. Now, even some of the homosexuals are saying, wait a minute, that's perverted. Pedophilia is perverted. And like, why are, why are people doing these things? Like even gay people are starting to say, wait a minute. Um, and that's what happens to a culture that has zero moral compass. We just keep snowballing into greater debauchery. And so now we're taking our children to these, you know, drag queen shows. Like, what is the deal with that? Even if I were a horrible secularist, Satan-worshipping wacko, I would think, yeah, I don't really want to go see one of those. Like, I don't get the, 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 the beauty. I don't see the beauty in a drag queen show. I don't see humor. I don't see anything but fat guys running around in tights, and I think, oh, my. <laughs> get us away from that as fast as we can. Um, it's horrible, and, and it's perverse. It really is perverse. Um, and, and yet parents... Crazy parents are taking their children to these drag queen shows. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking to see what we're doing to children. And, and, uh, and by the way, one of the things we're gonna see tonight too is the, the, some of the greatest victims in, in our victimized culture, but tr the truest victims in our whole story here tonight are children. Um, we'll talk about that at the end, hopefully. But all that to say, you know, this is God's word. Some will, I'm not trying to offend, uh, but uh, the Bible will offend today's you know, people that have no, no moral compass. There's no anchor to anchor us down. It's a moving target in our culture. So before you march out or get mad or click, uh, you know, off the live stream or whatever and get upset, um, could you at least listen to the whole thing? Because it does get better toward the end. I'll just tell you that. The story ends well if you, if you actually follow the whole thing. So, so verse four, male and female, he made them. Uh, by the way, uh, you know, in, in, you know, Babylon Bee always posts their funny stories, but they have a segment of their, uh, you know, thing called Not the Bee, which is true stories that are not satire. And one of those, uh, maybe you saw this uh, on July of this uh, last summer, Merriam-Webster Dictionary changes definition of female to fit trans ideology. Um, I think um, Webster would be rolling over in his grave if he saw 
what they're doing to his dictionary. Um, the Blaze article, transgender teacher tells kindergartners when babies are born, doctors guess if they're boys or girls, but sometimes the doctor's wrong. Um, like that is so lacking in, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, wisdom, science, biology, logic, um, you know, like it's lacking so much, but that's, that's where we are. That's where the world has taken it. And the Bible states over and over again that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's how God created them. And that's how we're supposed to look at it. So there in verse five, it says, and um, he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. If you're a 35 year old guy playing video games in your mom and dad's vase basement, uh, you might wanna read this verse. Uh, you're, you're not supposed to stay there and play video games all day on your mom and dad's dime. Uh, there's a point where you are supposed to leave. Um, and, and then if you are married, it says you're supposed to leave your, your uh, wife, uh, leave your uh, mom and dad. <laughs> Ooh, oh boy, now I'm confusing things. You're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pardon me. You're supposed to leave your parents and cleave, cleave to your wife and they too shall be one flesh. Am I turning red? Okay. <laughs> red go with blue. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, yeah. So um, let's see. So uh, th this is the way the Lord made it from the very beginning. Uh, from the beginning of creation, it's been that way. It's not a cultural trend for men and women to be married and then uh, not. It's been from the very beginning. And, um, and then it says, they too shall be one flesh. So this idea of, um, you know, one flesh is that it's, it's a binding together. Um, Jesus defines marriage that's a union that's permanent. And um, the real issue here is, um, you know, do you believe what Jesus is saying here? So, you know, forget, you know, the, the, the rabbi's teaching. Jesus says, here's what happened from the very beginning. Two people married, man and wife, um, and they shall become one flesh. Then verse six brings us to the next section where we, we kind of remember that wedlock is a padlock. Verse six, whereby, wherefore, uh, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put, it, put asunder. Uh, the word put asunder means to rip apart, really. So when God puts something together, which marriage is something God puts together, do you understand that? Well, Brett, not really. Uh, I got my uncle, he got his uh, marriage license from the Church of Elvis in downtown Portland and uh, went online, told, told him that he had a, a pulse and so they gave him a marriage license and then uh, now he did our wedding. Can I just say, if you're a Christian and you're getting your bro to do your wedding for you, can I just say that you, you're missing a big point of marriage? Marriage is something that God does and, and I think it's logical that you would bring the Lord into your wedding. <clears throat> and you say, well, my bro did that too. But you know, there, there is something neat about the church of Jesus Christ and the authority of the church recognizing your marriage and being behind your marriage. Well, what if I don't care about that? I think you're missing out on one of the sweetest parts of marriage that ha you have a congregation of people and pastoral staff and leadership that are saying, we see this as a good joining. Now, who doesn't want pastors to do their wedding? I'll tell you, there's a large group, people that are living together before they're married because they know they're living in sin. Uh, so they'll sometimes just say, well, we'll get my bro to do the wedding because I know if you go to Atheric, they're gonna make us separate our living condition. How wacko is that? Um, did you know if you're living together before you're married, you're way more likely to end up in divorce? Do you know that the stats on that? They're extremely high. Um, and people just, you know, glibly, naively blow off, yeah, whatever, and they get their bro who got a license online to do weddings or whatever. I, I'm just shocked by that, honestly. Um, and I, I just would like to re-invite you 
If you're a young single person and you're thinking about getting married someday, don't do the stupid thing. Like get, get somebody, get a pastor and, and well, bro, what if, what if the pastor tells us something we don't like to hear? That's why we're here, hello. <laughs> we're here to show you what the Bible says. If you wanna follow God's word and his plan, there's a good way to do it and we're gonna help you with that. But people are so stubborn in these days. It's, it's actually shocking how many times people do what I'm saying now where people are avoiding the pastors of the church because they just wanna do it their own way. That's just the bottom line. And then when they come in for counseling and then they're shocked that the pastor says, well, here's a few things you need to do or think about before you get married. Um, and then it's always interesting to me how quickly they are to reject the Bible. It's not the pastors at Athe Creek they're rejecting. They're just rejecting the Bible and what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage and marriage issues and sexual purity and all the stuff the Bible talks about. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be facetious here. I'm being very, very honest here that people have just kind of decided to do it their own way. And I would just ask the question, how, how does that work out for those people? And I'm just gonna say, as a guy who's done over a thousand weddings in my life, when I see people go that direction, it almost never works out well, almost never. So good luck with that. But if you take and do a little bit of difficult things today in preparation for the rest of your life, being married to the same person, the odds of you doing it with premarital counseling and with a pastor and a church behind you, your odds of staying together start to go up exponentially because you're wanting to do it God's way, not your own stubborn way. If that's you, well, Brett, what if we did that and we got married and we didn't go through the church? Well, you're not really married. No, I'm just kidding. That was a, <laughs> trying to lighten the mood here. You guys look a little serious here. Uh, everybody's kind of, <gasps> um, yeah, sorry about that. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, you're, you're married. If, if you got married legally uh, with documented uh, paperwork, well, what if you got married around a tree without being documented? Then I don't think you're married. And I'm not kidding about that. Well, Brett, who are you to say that? Jesus said that. Remember, uh, we'll see how Jesus is gonna sign his name to the idea of divorce, legal divorce, which means he also signs his name to legal marriage. That is documented legal marriage. That's part of Jesus's plan, not mine. So if you just thought, well, I'm not gonna care about that part. Uh, so so you, that means you probably blew off the church and you blew off the state of Oregon and, and the marriage license and all that then in, in two counts, you're in trouble there, I think. Uh, but if you, if you don't have documentation of your marriage, then you probably need to go down and get married and make that, get married. Uh, go down to the church, we'll, we'll, we'll help make it right. We don't have to do a huge ceremony, but we'll make it right before God and before the, even the government. Well, who cares about the government, Brett? It's the state of Oregon. I don't even care what Kate Brown has to say or, or you know, whoever's the governor, you know. Um, I, I get why you feel that way, but the Lord doesn't give us that out. We're to obey the laws of the land, the Bible says, in the things that we should and can as Christians. Well, I'm covering, oh, I haven't even got started on all the controversial stuff yet. Uh, so um, the meaning behind marriage, a union between one man, one woman, and it's meant to be a padlock. A wedlock is a padlock. Um, you know, um, and, you know, marriage is something you, you, uh, you know, in our culture, you do until you get tired of a person and then, you know, they, they drive you nuts and they, 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 for, for after a while, their personality rubs you the wrong way, um, you know, or, or there's any number of reasons. Uh, and so you might say, well, Brett, mention some legitimate reasons like abuse. The problem with the word abuse is um, I think that almost everybody's abusive to some degree. Almost everybody. <clears throat> the word abuse, depending on who you are, can mean if you just look at a person the wrong way. That's abusive. He looked at me with disgust. That's abuse. 
And then there's the far end of the spectrum where uh, you know, a man is physically abusive with his wife, and that's, that's abuse. And, and so those definitions somewhere between the one and the other, uh, our world, we flip those things around like it's just no big deal. So it's kind of an interesting thing where we start with our sinful behaviors, whether it's looking at a person the wrong way or physical abuse, for crying out loud. Um, what we do is we sort of use that unclear line to start looking for loopholes how to get out of marriage. Um, and as it turns out, in our culture, it's easier to file for divorce than doing almost anything else. It's easier to file for divorce than to get a handgun. It's easier to file for divorce than to get a permit to ride a boat on the Willamette River. Has anybody had done the boater test on, online? It takes hours, hours and hours if you wanna do your boater uh, exam or whatever. Good luck with that. But getting divorced, whip, zap, zip, zap. Um, and, and our culture, you know, that's, we, we start, we popularize this. In fact, I came across this, uh, divorced couples in Albuquerque, New Mexico can take an advantage of the new business in town called uh, Freedom Rings. Jewelry uh, for the divorced. Uh, the founder by jeweler and divorcee, Lynn Peters, the company makes custom jewelry out of wedding rings. Each customer at Freedom Ring pays a fee and the ring smashing ceremony begins, complete with champagne and music. And just before smashing, the master of ceremony says, we will now release any remaining ties to your past by transforming your ring, which rep represents your past. Uh, into a token of your new beginning. So now take the hammer, stop for a moment, consider the transformation that is about to begin in your new life. Ready? And with the swing, let freedom ring. And there, uh, then she uh, uses a four pound sledgehammer to whack her emblem of love and fidelity into a shapeless piece of metal. The ceremony ends, uh, then the fact that um, women are pounding their wedding rings into pendants and men are grinding them into golf ball markers. It, it, um, it doesn't surprise me, honestly, that this is where people are going. There's even places you can rent wedding rings now. We rent wedding rings, uh, you know, for some for just the day of photos. Others say, well, we'll see how long this lasts. A lot of Hollywood people, by the way, rent their wedding rings, uh, not a shocker. But when you exchange vows in marriage, the Bible says it's meant to be forever. And, or, you know, as long as you both shall live is the idea. The intention is that you're um, locked. Um, and, you know, this is, this is something that's not popular today. Well, what if things are bad? The idea of, of marriage in the, in, the, in the Bible, one preacher put it this way, when the doors on marriage are shut and bolted and a fire breaks out, all your time and energy will go into putting out the flames. In other words, instead of trying to make an escape route when things are troubled in your marriage, the idea is you gotta very ferociously work it out, work out the problems, do whatever you have to do to fix the problem. Too many marriages have an escape door in our culture and we just kind of blow it off. Say, well, we're gonna just get divorced. Bible does not teach that at all. So Jesus is really, in a sense, telling the, the, the Pharisees that they're missing the whole point. That's the problem here. Don't you understand? From the very beginning, God made this to be a blessing and a beautiful joining from two to be one and, um, and not to allow anybody, anyone, to put it asunder or to rip it apart. Um, and, you know, so... We've become way too good at asking the questions, uh, you know, about how, we, how far we can go in sin and what, what constitutes divorce, sexual sin. Um, you know, how far can we go and still be in the safe grounds of Christianity? People like to ask that. I always feel, by the way, that we as Christians often ask the wrong question. 
you know, um, in, in marriage, how far can I go and, you know, and still be married or still not be on grounds for divorce? And we, we like to ride those lines. I remember when I was a youth pastor, uh, the young guy who had Pastor Brad, how far can I go with my girlfriend and, and still be okay as a Christian, like, you know, sexually, physically? Uh, <laughs> and I just say, just leave room for the Holy Spirit, man, just between you guys there. No, I didn't say that. But... <laughs> But that, you know, that's the wrong question. Uh, how far can you go it's just so you don't cross the line? Is it kissing? Is it hugging? Is it holding each other's hands? Is it further than that? I mean, you know, now, I understand a lot of kids don't care about that at all today. But we're all asking the wrong question. The, the better question is how far holy can you be set aside for God's purpose without pushing the line as far as you can possibly go? Because really sexual, uh, you know, the beauty of sexuality is created by God for the boundaries of marriage. Anything outside of marriage that's sexual in nature is what the Bible calls fornication. Um, anything that's sexual, not just adultery, but anything that's just uh, you know sexual in nature, it's called fornication, which is not of God. Uh, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and every wife have her own husband. And so this is this is kind of the thing. And by the way, I, you know the debate between Calvinism and Arminianism, you know, and, and people for centuries have debated, you know, once saved, always saved, can you lose your salvation? That question is another one of those questions that kind of cracks me up in the sense that people are saying, you know, how far can you go and still be saved? When is your salvation on, on the line or can you lose your salvation or, or do you have eternal security? And oftentimes those same questions are trying to help us push the limits and find the loopholes of how to do stuff to get away with it. And they've been doing that for centuries, even here in, in the time of Christ. So the real question is how pure and holy and devoted to the Lord, sold out and following of Jesus and loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, how far can you do that? That's the question that we should be asking. Um, and even not only just the doing of those things, the evil things of sin, but, but even the abstaining from the appearance, like 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from even the appearance of evil, the scriptures say. So marriage is, a, you know, lock yourself together with another person, which is a radical decision to make. That's why marriage is such a big deal. You're locking yourself. Wedlock is meant to be a padlock. And um, loving each other in a way that's Christ-like. That's the way the Bible uh, told us to do it. So, um, so not as much about being committed as much as it is considering yourself locked together. By the way, um, there was um, a pastor who I heard about who did this in his premarital counselings, and I thought of doing it myself, but I don't know. It's uh, but but I thought it was it, it was kind of a cool idea. He he would actually get the couple uh, two pieces of paper, and he'd have them write um, their you know their their name at the top, and he'd go through and ask them, "What's your favorite you know food?" and what, what, "How do you what's your favorite thing about the other person?" What's your and they'd start writing all these things, and there's and by the end of the thing, and then he'd get out some Elmer's glue. And he'd, he'd cover all their writing with glue and cover the other page with glue and then just stick the two pages together and glue them together. And then he said, thank you. And then he dismissed them. Well, in the second premarital, a week later, uh, have, having let the glue dry now, he says, now this represents your marriage, the, who you are as individuals, you, you, you came together and you, you decided to be married, but let's just pretend that you choose to get divorced someday. Let's, let's go through that just exercise. Go ahead and separate the paper, uh, separate it out. Divide, divide your marriage. And so the couple kind of awkwardly tries to, and they're peeling and, and there's tearing and it's really, it's really hard. The glue is stronger than the paper and there's little curly strips of paper and pieces laying everywhere. And by the time they try to split it up, there's not really much left of the whole thing. 
And then he gets out another piece of paper and says, now, let's glue you back to this person. Because if you get remarried after being divorced, here's what's left, let's go ahead and do that. And he was, he was showing that what God puts together, don't let anybody try to tear it apart. Why? Because it hurts you. It messes you up. People don't understand how divorce is so painful and it can really cause destruction, not only to you, but to, to your loved ones, your family members, and perhaps most of all, um, your kids. And this idea of what God puts together here in our text, let no man, verse six, put us under. Wedlock is meant to be a padlock and how important it is for us to remember that. Well, all that to say, um, it's interesting, Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, if one prevail against a person, two shall withstand him, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. One of the secrets of having the glue in marriage is to make sure that glue is Jesus Christ. If you're married outside of Jesus Christ, it's just the two of you, good luck with that. But I love what Solomon said. Now Solomon was somewhat of an expert on marriage, wouldn't you say? I'm not saying it was a good thing, but he knew a lot about marriage, but he, he, he said, boy, if, if somebody's prevailing against you, good news, if, if you have two people, two are better than one, he says earlier. He says, two shall withstand him, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. And I believe, you know, Solomon's talking, talking about how the two of, of, of you as a married couple can be really strong, but that threefold cord is not easily broken. That third piece of cord is Jesus. Prophetically, I think he was saying that through this little statement. And so when you're married, you understand you're being not just two pieces of twine. In Bible times, they would take two pieces of twine and wind them together to make a thicker twine. But even under stress and strain, that twine would begin to fray and break. But if they had a big construction job with a heavy lift, they would take that third fold cord and they'd wind the two around the inner cord. And then under strain and stress, they would take those pieces of hemp actually, and they'd be wound around that inner cord and under strain the, the the outer cords would get tighter around that inner cord, causing it to be stronger under stress, which is the idea of marriage. The marriage that is Jesus-centered, the one-step marriage program, Jesus at the center of your marriage. This is, by the way, why um, I, I can't see why people would get married apart from the church, apart from pastoral care and leadership and, and authority, um, because Jesus is, is supposed to be the center not just tacked on in some wedding by a, your bro uh, that, that helps you with that. I, I'm, if I sound like I'm a little bit bummed by that, I am. Uh, well, Brett, you, you don't have time to do all our weddings, but we have a pastoral team that's outstanding and they would love, we love doing weddings here at Athey Creek. And, um, and that's something that I hope you guys don't neglect. Uh, but make sure that it's the Lord that puts it together. Um, you know, Malachi 2.16 says, for the Lord, uh, the God of Israel um, saith that he hateth putting away, or literally translated, I hate divorce. For one covereth violence with his garment, the Lord uh, said, the Lord of hosts. One of the things the Lord says in the Old Testament is he hates divorce. There's a few things the Lord hates. And why does he hate it? Because it, um, he meant it to stay together, but to tear a marriage apart is to hurt a lot of people. That's why he hates it. So you've got number one, the fault finding Pharisees. Number two, the meaning behind marriage. Number three, wedlock is a padlock. But number four, we have the source of divorce. Take a look, verse seven. It says, they say unto him, why did Moses then give command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, man, I didn't create you to be married and then divorced. 
God created us to be married, period. Divorce was only brought in and permitted. You need to see there's a huge difference. Jesus corrects these guys, and we might miss it in the English, where um, Moses, uh, they, they say in verse seven, they say, why did Moses command to give a writing divorce? And the word command there is an interesting word um, uh, that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's literally like a commanding officer saying, go and do this and you have to do it. But when Jesus says, Moses, because the heart of the earth suffered you to put away your wives, the word is very different. He didn't command he suffered. In fact, the, the Greek word there, I'll put it up here. It's, it's an interesting Greek word. The word is, um, you know, epitrepo, uh, which means to permit or allow to give leave. He didn't, Moses didn't command people to get divorced. He said he permitted and allowed, but it was, you get a sense of reluctance. That's what you need to catch there. So did Moses command them to get divorced? No. He suffered or permitted them. Jesus clarifies that. Why? Because of the hardness of their hearts. Uh, when a person gets married, and, and uh, even if you say, Brett, what if it's to the wrong person? It's still because of the hardness of our hearts. Um, what about all the reasons people get divorced, Brett? Well, isn't it interesting that Jesus is silent on that for the most part on this whole topic? Because I know a lot of you are, are probably thinking, well, what if you, the guy does this? Or what if she does that? And, and we wanna look for those reasons to get out. But Jesus is silent on that. And I'm, I'm learning more and more as a Bible teacher, when the Bible is silent, I need to be silent. And when Jesus is silent, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be silent. So there's, there's a lot of people that are gonna wanna try to drag in the issues about, you know, what about physical abuse? Or what about emotional abuse? Or what about leaving his socks out every morning? <clears throat> what about you know, he stinks, or what about, what are the issues that makes a woman wanna leave her husband or a man want to leave his wife? But Jesus doesn't even get, about, get into this. Um, and, and I don't believe Jesus is not recognizing that life is, 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 is not hard. Um, and there's, there's, of course, difficulty in marriage. We'll, we'll, we'll remember what Paul said here for a moment. The Bible tried to warn you. If you would have read your Bibles, you would have known uh, 1 Corinthians seven twenty eight. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. That's good news. Um, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. Huh? That's a promise of God's word. Hang that on your mirror at home. Those of you that are married will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. Um, when married people um, are committed to being married, they, the one thing they have to know is married Marriage is a very difficult thing. Getting two people to agree and to get along and to hang out. And, and, but but when, when you're married with someone in biblical fashion, you have to understand that his problems become your problem. Her problem becomes your problem as a husband. You need to own whatever problems they present or have as a one, now a one person. We need to start owning those problems. Well, he's my husband, I, I have no control. But I think that's incorrect. I think that the Bible tells us that we're to, we're, we're to be helpmeets and help one another and even submit ourselves one to another, Ephesians 5 tells us. You know, the Lord is reminding us to stick together, whether in riches or in rags, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. And our culture has just totally blown off that and we've given ourselves all kinds of outs for divorce, which is really heartbreaking because it hurts a lot of people. So, um, in your life, when you make a vow, the first most important vow you probably make or whatever you say with your mouth is when you accepted Jesus and confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart. 
But the second most important thing you probably said with your lips was when you um, accepted marriage and you gave your vows uh, in marriage. Wedlock is meant to be a padlock and people blow that off. Uh, today, secular and Christian world, more than 50% of people divorce. The stats on marriage in the United States, about 50% of married couples divorce, the sixth highest divorce rate in the world. One of the thing about divorce rates that you, you might notice is divorce rates are falling. There's articles out there, wonderful news, divorce rates are falling. Yeah, everybody's like, but we know the problem. The problem is a lot of people, a lot of people just have chosen not to get married. Like if you go to Sweden and stuff, people just don't get married anymore. Marriage is like a thing of the past. Uh, there's places in the world where marriage is no longer almost. Um, so the idea of um, divorce rates of falling, as it turns out, um, that they're not really measuring the same thing that they did 10 years ago. People just aren't getting married. They're, li they're living together. And like I said before, cohabitating can impact your risk of divorce pretty radically. Uh, children of divorced parents are more likely to get divorced themselves. Divorce statistics of children uh, of divorced parents suggest that daughters are 60% more likely to get a divorce themselves if their parents are divorced. And as Christians, I believe we should be different than the world. We should be examples to the world. So the source of divorce is told to us right here in our, in our text. There in verse, uh, verse eight, Moses said, it's because of the hardness of your hearts. That's the source of divorce, hardness of heart. That's why Moses suffered, allowed um, divorce to happen. So then, brings us to the next section, the course of divorce. <laughs> Verse nine, where does divorce take you? Well, it says, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now, this is a hard one. Um, this is where people start going, man, this is heavy for Jesus to say, man, if you get divorced, um, unless it be for, the, uh, you know, for fornication, and then if you marry someone else, you're committing adultery. And this is where people get all up in a tizzy. Um, you know, the first thing we have to remember is uh, divorce is always gonna be difficult, no matter who you are. It doesn't just hurt you, it hurts your friends, your family members, and worst of all, the kids. Uh, by the way, the long-term psychological effects of divorce on children, um, there's some interesting stats. Increased risk of developing mental disorders on children. Children whose parents got divorced are more likely to develop anxiety, depression, and other types of mental disorders. There's a much higher increased uh, rate of developing behavioral problems and addictions. Um, children of divorced, uh, divorcees have higher tendency to engage in substance uses at usage at early ages. This is just the stats that are out there. So, um, so the people that kind of blow this off and think, oh, it'd just be better, life would be better if we you know, knock off our marriage. Um, man, don't you understand? One of the things we have to say is the church is also here to help. I, I feel like in these modern times, the church has become sort of the enemy. If you're going through marriage troubles, well, you're gonna make it hard on me and uh, you're gonna make it harder. Well, um, marriage is hard and doing the right thing is always hard. I think that's kind of true. Doing the right thing is hard. But the church is not here, Aethe Creek's not here to force you to do anything. Our pastors will not make you do anything. But we will say, here's what the Bible says. And if you wanna do what God's word says, here's the way it's spelled out for you. And then you have the choices to make. Um, and the church is here to help. We'll help you. And we've helped a lot of couples, um, some to where they were successful and blessed, others to where they said, yeah, whatever. And they went and did it their own way. 
But I, I just wanna make that clear. Athe Greek pastor staff, we're not here to control you. Um, you know, I love how the scriptures say it as ministry, we're here to be helpers of men's joy, but not to have dominion over your faith. That's not the way we roll at Athey. There is a place for church discipline when somebody just keeps doing something over and over again and they, they just sort of boldly and you know, gladly say, well, I guess I, I, I don't have to do what the church says and I'm gonna keep going to church here and enjoying fellowship and friendship and all that, but I'm gonna keep doing kind of my own crazy sinful stuff. There is a point where we're as leaders supposed to say, you, you are not welcome here. It's called church discipline. There's scriptures about that. Whole nother topic. So there is a little bit of that, but when it comes to your life and marriage, we're not gonna, you know, uh, we're not gonna try to hammer you over the head, but we are gonna say, here's what the Bible says, and if you wanna be in line with God's word, we'll, we'll help you with that. Um, uh, but all that to say, um, you know, some of you might be saying, Brett, this is kind of brutal, this idea of divorce, but what is Jesus talking about here? Because some people would say that Jesus is saying, if you get a divorce, um, you can't be remarried. Because um, you cause, uh, you know, the other person or whatever, uh, you know, you cause a person to commit adultery. Whosoever marries her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. So that, with this message, you'd say, well, I guess you can't ever be remarried. But here's the problem with that. It, it, you, one of the things you have to do when you're interpreting scripture, you have to make sure that all scripture fits together. And if you see a apparent contradiction, you might have to rethink what your um, interpretation is. Um, and so one of the things that we have to understand is, is divorce <clears throat> the unpardonable sin, yes or no? No, we went over that recently. So good news. If you've been divorced and you're feeling really bad right now on a Wednesday night, Bible, great, and you're making me feel horrible. Um, good news, divorce is forgivable and the Lord does and I've seen that and the Lord restores the years the locust have eaten and he's done amazing things in people's lives that I've seen over the years. Um, but um, one of the things we need to remember is, is uh, the, the great mercy of the Lord. Check this out. I love this reminder. Paul was talking to the crazy church. What was the crazy church? Corinth. The Corinthian church, they were way out of whack when it came to things sexual and marriage and all these issues. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 12. For you know not, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators or idolaters or adulterers or effeminate. Uh, or abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, or drunkards, or revelers, or extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, and such were some of you, <laughs> people of Corinth. But what happened to them that were adulterers, fornicators, and all that other stuff? Um, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful, mean, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Here Paul's saying, we're all sinners and you guys were horrible sinners. You guys were doing those things of the people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those that, who continually practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but he says, but you, God, but you were those people until you were washed, cleansed. And that's the thing I wanna remind you is when we repent of our sin, the Lord is able to forgive us and cleanse us um, when, when we read these uh, words here, don't just think of them as doctrinal words, but when it says you're washed, that means you're clean. When it says you're sanctified, it means you're set apart. When it says you are justified, it means you're just as if you'd never sinned at all. That's by def definition what justification is. So when Jesus says that a person who's been divorced, if they remarry, they're committing adultery, I can't say that I disagree with that because Jesus said it. 
But at the same time, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world where the Bible says that sacrifice makes you just as if you'd never sinned at all. Brand new. Like the scripture I showed you earlier, old things are passed away, all things become new. So does, does God forgive your sins and remember them no more? Or does he hold you to your sins for the rest of your life? Well, the good news is he's the forgiver of sins. What does that have to do with this, Brett? Well, see, when we talk to people that have been divorced, we, as pastors, one of the things we wanna help you with, assist you, is to make sure that you're in the right frame of mind and in the right position before the Lord before you ever would get remarried. See, there's some pastors that would never marry a divorced person to a, a, who's been divorced once. There's some churches and pastors, denominations, that'll say, you've been married once? Sorry, you're single till the, your death. And there's churches that say that. And by the way, I gotta say this, this might sound a little crazy, but I kinda don't knock them on that because it does sort of fit with what Jesus is saying here. But, um, but in my searching of scripture, it, it's hard to reconcile this idea of sort of a, the sin that is unpardonable or unforgivable, unforgettable, unjustifiable. And that is this idea of divorce, it's not that. So as, as, as I see the scripture, if a person comes, let me give you a couple scenarios. If a person comes to the office, a couple, and this lady says, I'm, I'm, I divorced my husband. Well, why'd you divorce your husband? Well, he was a jerk and you know, the bathroom stink and uh, um, I didn't like the way he talked to me sometimes and so I just dumped him, he was a jerk. And this guy here, he's not gonna do any of those things. <laughs> and so that's when I have a little red flag and I think, wow, um, you know, there, you know if, if she came and said this, um, Pastor Brett, I, um, was married to a guy, we weren't saved, we didn't know the Lord, he you know, did this and that, and, but we were both guilty, we were both at fault. I, you know, even if it gets back all the way to make, making the wrong choice, it was sin maybe to marry outside of God's plan and blessing. But taking ownership of, of her own part in her previous marriage, well, Brett, what if she did nothing wrong? There's no such person. If you've been married, you've done something wrong, I guarantee you. How many of you married people have never done anything wrong in your marriage? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay, none. Thousands of people are, none, zero. Because we know that's true. So, so you gotta first of all own what you've done wrong and repent of your own sins. Um, and, and there's any varying degree of that, but there needs to be this sort of a repentant heart as it relates to your previous marriage. Or else at Athey Creek, we're gonna be hesitant to say, oh yeah, great, you're gonna get married to this guy. Hopefully this doesn't happen again. You know, We don't take that. We, we take Jesus's word seriously here. And I believe there is a case where a person who's unrepentant from their sin of divorce and has zero ownership of that, then I think we might be doing another sin upon sin by remarrying them to someone without actually having repented from the previous sin. Well, Brett, who are you guys to judge that? It's not really us. We're, we're using what the scriptures kind of define and, and what repentance looks like as much as we can see or try to discern. But it also has to do with your heart and your mind. So. So are you like these people of Corneth where you're washed and sanctified and then justified in the name of the Lord? And then I do believe that the Lord makes all things new. Old things are passed away. So I do believe, and this is our, our position at Athey Creek, and there's a lot of churches that take this position, that if there's a repentant heart and the old divorce is dealt with and what have you, and, and you're right before God, then I think there's a possibility for the idea of remarriage and you're, you're not gonna be committing adultery as Jesus is saying here, uh, for the person who's still in their sin. Again, some people debate that. There's other people that will do marriage for anybody anytime. There's churches here in Portland that will marry you at any time. You could be marrying a non-believer. Atheist, we will not marry a Christian to a non-believer. 
Uh, that's something we don't do because the Bible's clear. Do not be unequally yoked. And there's nothing more yoked together than a, a, a marriage relationship. You're not supposed to be unequally yoked. We will not marry a person who's marrying someone who's not a Christian. Um, and so this idea is, you know, we have to kind of search the rest of scripture and ask to say, you know, um, what does the Lord say about forgiveness and remembering our sins no more? So the, there are scenarios where somebody would come in and say, well, uh, I, I divorced my husband or my wife because I just didn't like her and got tired of her. That kind of tells us you got divorced for the wrong reasons and you're still in your sin and your next marriage is only gonna pile sin upon sin. By the way, the stats on your second marriage of failure is pretty shock, shocking too. That's why we don't take that very lightly. Does that make, am I making things as clear as mud here? Or do you guys understand what I'm talking about here? Okay, good. It's our little world here at Athey where we talk to hundreds and hundreds of couples. So we deal with this all the time, uh, as it turns out. Well, so the disciples here um, um, are, you know, talking about, you know, or the disciples are gonna kind of wonder what in the world's going on here. They're, they're gonna have some questions here. But some of you that are here, you might be saying, Brett, I'm single. Uh, what do I think about all this? Well, um, it's, as it turns out, it's kind of interesting. There's, there's a, the second most complaining group uh, in church. The second most loud complaining group is the single people in churches. The first complaining group are the married people. <laughs> uh, just being honest with you, that, that's the truth. <laughs> Ask any of our pastors. Um, because marriage is really hard. But, but the reason I, I bring that up is Jesus is gonna deal with this as well. And, and, and he's gonna talk to the disciples. Let's continue our, our study here as we go, keep going. Verse, uh, verse 10, his disciples said unto him, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. In other words, they heard everything Jesus said and said, whew, let's just be single. Avoid all the trouble, all this adultery and divorce and you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, suffering uh, that's talked about here. Uh, you, you know, um, uh, don't even mess with it. The disciples said, but but then Jesus curiously goes into a whole other discussion in verse eleven. He's going to say, uh, but he says to them, all men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. So there's a certain group of people that can accept what is about to be said here. Four verse twelve, there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. Uh, and there were some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which be made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Huh? Yeah. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Why did he start talking about eunuchs of all things? Well, if you don't know what a eunuch is, uh, look it up in a dictionary. Uh, um, <laughs> Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dive into this uh, reluctantly, but um, some people are called to different ways of life. Some people are called to married life. There are people who are called to singleness. Jesus is actually talking about this idea of being single. Um, but the word eunuch is, is a word that kind of freaks us out, and it should, because it means different things in the Bible. But um, eunuch, typically biblically, means the man has been castrated. Did he just say that? Yep. Uh, and, it, um, and it can also mean, though, someone who has chosen to remain uh, single or abstinent is the idea there. Um, someone who's called to singleness or called to abstinence. Um, and it's interesting, the, the, the Greek word for eunuch here is uh, eunokos, which means um, uh, um, a couple things in the Bible. When you look up the Greek word, one of the meanings is superintendent of the bedchamber. Oh, huh? what's that? That's the guy in charge of the harem. 
And the reason they called him a eunuch or eunuchos is because that's what they would often do. If you were like, for example, the guy in charge of Pharaoh's harem in Egypt, they would castrate you to make sure there was no funny business going on between the guy who's in charge of the harem. So it just kind of made it not really possible for him to mess up in that way. That's what the Bible's talking about. And when it uses this word eunuchos, that's the first definition. Um, the guy that was castrated because he was in charge of the harems of the kings. The second one is one who is naturally incapacitated for uh, marriage um, uh, or, or begetting children. And that, that, that could have happened in any number of ways in Bible times. In battle, or if you were conquered, one of the things the enemies would do is just to shame and, and kill or even hurt or maim, they would castrate their enemies. That was something that happened a lot in Bible times. I hate to go into it, but that's history, that's humanity. Um, or, um, or the third definition is one who voluntarily abstains from marriage. And most scholars believe that the word eunuch in the New Testament can and oftentimes meant not as much of a physiological changing of one's body as much as a decision to be set aside for the purpose of uh, worshiping, serving the Lord. Um, others who choose to be single and absent saying, I'm gonna be single for the purpose of being uh, a, a server of the Lord. So all this to say in Bible times, uh, this is, these are the different kinds of eunuchs. So that's what Jesus is actually identifying. Some eunuchs were uh, so born from their mother's womb. Now there's a question about that. Is Jesus talking about that tiny fraction of people that were born disfigured? And that is something that does happen. And it's funny how the transgender community and the, um, the homosexual community love to talk about that sliver of a fraction of a percentage um, of people that are born in a way that's different or what have you. And they make that the reason why it's all good to do whatever they wanna do. Um, that's, not, that's not honesty, that's not truth. But there are people that are born in some ways uh, unable to have children or whatever. And, and there's, uh, Jesus says some were born that way from their mother's womb. Others could argue that people were born with same-sex attraction. And one of the things that you have to understand is there are people, and, and this is something I, I, I actually admire. I know people that were born in a way, you might even argue this, that they don't really have attraction. But they also know biblically that being attracted to the same sex, is, if you engage in that, that, that's where it becomes sinful. The Bible gives us that clearly. And I know people who've said, I'm gonna choose to be abstinent my whole life and not dive into that sin, even though my flesh doesn't really agree with that or feel that. And some people have made that, cho that choice in life. So some people argue that that's with this. Of course, there's others that would like to try to put words in Jesus' mouth and make the argument, Jesus is pro-gay because of what he's saying here. That's not the case at all. So uh, some eunuchs were born from their mother's womb. Those are the, the options there. Um, there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, castrated because they were slaves, uh, defeated in battle or wounded in battle. That's the, the, the person there. And then there's some eunuchs which have been made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And again, the scholars don't believe they were physically castrated, but they were guys that said, we are choosing to be uh, abstinent. Um, and he that is able to receive that, receive it. That's what Jesus says. Now you say, Brett, that's, that's crazy. What's he, what's he talking about? Well, um, you know, Paul touched on this subject about singleness in 1 Corinthians 7, 9. He says, but if they cannot contain, let them marry for it is better to marry than to burn. People have misinterpreted this saying, you mean if, you're, um, if you can't contain yourself sexually, you better get married because if you engage sexually, you're gonna burn in hell? 
That's probably not what it's saying here. It's, it's saying more you're burning, the idea is burning with passion. Um, you're a young couple and you're, you're dating and you start messing around physically and then that, that fire starts burning hotter and hotter. The Bible says it's better to marry than to that, let that idea of burning with passion go. And that only leads you to more of a sinful behavior and lifestyle. So marriage is in a way um, to the person that's burning with passion. They, that's one of the answers we're given is to be married. And then sexuality inside of the marriage bed is undefiled, the Bible says. So, um, you know, uh, if you are called to singleness, um, you know, I always like to remind singles that, um, you know, the, 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 what I said earlier, you know, the married people, they, that's, they're the ones that are having the troubles that we talk to more than single people by far. And singleness is underrated. I think singleness, uh, according to the Bible, is, is clearly an option. First Corinthians 7, 7, for I would that all men were even as myself, Paul says, concerning a singleness, but every man has his own proper gift of God, one after this manner, another after that. But his idea is, if you could be like me, single like Paul, um, you, you, you will able to have more energy and, and time and give every ounce of your attention and uh, talent to serving the Lord. Um, and rather than uh, as a single person asking that question, you know, why am I still single? Um, ask yourself the question, for what purpose am I single? Why has the Lord allowed me to be single to this point in my life? And, and search for what God has for you in that. And then be patient. Uh, you know, it's, it's so important for you to be patient. I know that's easier said than done, but it's easier for you. You've been married for 37 years. No wonder you can say that. But, um, but we're still called to be content whether you're single or married. And I'd say both people have to learn to be content whether you're single or married, in, in probably, I would say, equal fashion. Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He was writing this, by the way, from a jail cell. He learned to be content sitting in jail. Um, one of the goofs I think that our single people make is the pressure of our culture and even a biological clock, the pressure of a biological clock, say, I should be married by now. But, um, but the answer is to be content and say, Lord, you have a timing and a plan. Uh, be praying for the person you might marry someday. If you want to be married, pray about that. But ask the Lord for his will, his timing, and to stick with the Lord. Um, and, and remember, you know, scriptures like Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You've heard the saying, you know, it's, it's not about finding the right person as much as it's about being the right person. Well, Brett, I'm being the right person, and I still haven't found my spouse. Are you sure? If you're saying that, you may not be the right person that you're thinking you're being right now. Uh, so be careful with that. Still work on being the right person more than searching for the right person. But all that to say, um, uh, you know, this is a controversial passage. Marriage, divorce, remarriage, singleness, all of these are tough ones. But I love how Jesus says, this is the truth. God wants you to stay married. That was God's heart. Well, what about this? And what about that? And what about the other? Jesus was silent on that. The main point I think we're supposed to walk away with is stay married. But, 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 stay married. Um, well, what about adultery? Well, Jesus did say for the hardness of our hearts, Moses suffered us to, to put a bill of divorce before that. But even with that one, I'm not sure Jesus is saying, ding, 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 you can get divorced if, if your husband committed adultery. Like, I'm not sure that's just an automatic, you know, go for it, live in large, get divorced. I don't think that's the heart. Jesus, he's saying, we've missed the whole point that marriage is to be this beautiful picture of two people coming together, being joined together by the Lord, and then choosing to stick to it. 
There was generations that used to stick to it, even if it was difficult. Well, Brett, what if I'm you know, struggling in this life and I'm miserable? Man, this is where you have to trust the Lord. And this life is a boot camp. And we can't think that it's all about my comfort and my happiness. Sometimes we have to just say, Lord, we're gonna die to ourselves and, and do what you've called us to do. One other thing I would add to this, by the way, before we wrap it up tonight, is make sure you marry the right person. Um, and I, I would say a lot of people have been kind of flippant over years. And that's one reason why so many people are frustrated in marriage is they really didn't do due diligence to make sure that they were marrying the right person. And, and, um, and even if you do marry the right person, as it turns out, um, even that person's gonna frustrate you uh, because we're all sinners. But be like the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How did Jesus love the, the church? Unconditionally, sacrificially. Whether we're the bride that's good or bad or ugly, his love is unconditional. That's how husbands are supposed to love their wives. Like Jesus just made it so clear for us. We're the ones that complicate the matter. If you're con considering divorce, can I just tell you, take real careful you know, consideration because it, it's gonna hurt and it's gonna, it's, it is sin. Divorce is something God hates. And is there other options and other alternatives and definitely get counsel. There's safety in a multitude of counselors, the Bible says. Um, and, and learn to submit to people that you trust who say, here's what you need to do. And if, if, you, don't, if you don't like what they're saying, then you, might, you, you should still do it. I've chosen to put people in my life, whether I love it or hate it, I'm gonna do what they say because I, I, before I had the problem, I chose to be accountable to them. Um, I think you need to make those decisions long before you're having trouble in marriage. Who do you go to for counsel, for wisdom, for uh, you know, accountability? Well, all this to say, uh, pray about this stuff, L look at the scripture, search the scripture. I know some of this is hard for some of you, but pray about this because this is what the Bible says. It doesn't give us the easy out. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with this one. I know that there's a lot of people who are bummed and <clears throat> even talking about this topic uh, frustrates people. But of the news that we have, I'm so thankful for the good news of even when we fail, even when we all sin and make huge mistakes and even get divorced and commit adultery even. Lord, I'm thankful that you have not made those the unpardonable sins, that you're able to put our sin as far as the east is from the west. You give us a new start. Oh Lord, anybody who's lived a long time, we, we know there's repercussions to our sinful stuff. But we also, Lord, know that you're, you're forgiving full of mercy and good goodness. So for those who failed and made mistakes in marriage, Lord, we all commit our lives to you and pray for just a, um, a building up of faith and strength that we'd be more and more like you. Help us to follow your word, not to go with the rest of culture and what the world says is cool. Help us to stick to your word, Lord. So give us wisdom. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.